Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Fro Show. My name is Frank Rankin. I'm joined, as always, by my beautiful co-host, Joe Murray. Hello, Fro. And we are joined by another incredible guest this week, Lachlan from Surf and Turf Vintage. Hello, hello. Hello, welcome. <laughs> um, Lockie and I met literally an hour ago. Yeah, well, is it was it literally like, an hour ago? It was like two hours ago now. Yep. Oh, um, yeah, like literally within the past three hours. Eh? Like, yeah. Yep. We, so we had a conversation and then I was like, didn't be on the podcast? And Lucky was like, yep, all right, sorted. <laughs> Done. Because <laughs> at Easy. first I was like, yo, am I going to be like sitting in, like observing this stuff? But man, host, like, um, I love this. Yeah. This sounds fun. Yeah, you just, got, you just throw people in. you just like, all right, we're doing it. Here, talk. For, <laughs> yeah, like, throw them in the deep end. Yeah. It's the way the workplace likes to do it. So <laughs> yeah. that's what I like to do. <laughs> and then we also, uh, we're recording this in the room uh, with Zach. So. What's up, bitches? <laughs> exactly. Um, over at man. Jpg. Over at man. Yeah. Png. Png. Okay. Papua New Guinea. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> okay. Um, Lucky, what do you do? Let's, let's start um, there. So I'm a vintage seller. Is probably like the term that I'd like to use. Uh, mm-hmm. So I find your rare, collectible, sort of hard to find items that bands released, certain like artists, that sort of stuff back in the day. So. You know, I love my Metallica shirts, you know, your Mambo from Australia, like, your just really creative stuff from back in the day that, like, you don't find too often nowadays in fashion. So, um, Mambo, a big one, a big one. So, all your Australian artists, Reg Mombasa, that sort of stuff, like, love collecting that. So, yeah, got into collecting at first, and then I was like... Yo, I'm spending like way too much money on this. Like, I gotta, I gotta start making this profitable. Otherwise, the parents will be mad or something, you know. Um, so yeah, that's sort of how I got into it. Yeah. Right. So you you would you started collecting, then started selling. Mm. What like what you sell Mambo stuff? Is yes. it mostly vintage band tees and things like that? Yeah, yeah. So I like to. Um, I guess the way that I have my store like set out is. I go through, let's say, an op shop or, like, one of these vintage wholesalers, and I'll go, like, I'd wear that, or, like, that's something that I find is really sick. So, I grab those pieces of clothing that you're not going to find in, like, your general retailer, like, H&M or something like that. So, um, that's how I position the store, like, things that are a bit of a niche product for a certain type of group of people or something like that. So, yeah, and then pieces that sort of have, like, a little bit of political leaning, too. Like, I don't mind, like, I like um, Mambo with how they did this uh, Pauline Hanson rednecks design. So, it was, like, this matchbox in the 90s, and they put Pauline Hanson's face on it, like, the rest <laughs> Because she made this comment about, like, how all Asian people need to go back to the country or some stupid thing like that. Um, and they just took it and ran with it. And, yeah, I love that sort of stuff, like, just being a bit apart from the rest. Mm. So sort of it, it kind of accidentally became a business then for you. Yeah, yeah, like you definitely. Did, you, you didn't intend for it to become a business when you started. No, so like when I was, oh shoot, like back here, when I was like 14, 15, that age, like I was mad into your sneakers, like your Jordans, Air Maxes, that sort of stuff. Um, and there was this one pair that came out in 2015 or 2016, and I'm probably going to have the sneakheads like murder me for getting that wrong, <laughs> but the Sean Wotherspoon Air Max 197 mix, um, when that came out, it was like this corduroy Air Max 1 with a 97 upper and like had all these crazy colors on it, and I'd heard of this Sean guy before, I was like, you know, who's this bloke, but this shoe came out and I was like, that's that's insane, like i got to get amongst that, um, and I followed his story. So he had this YouTube channel called Round 2 Vintage, which if no one's checked that out, like, 
check that shit out. <laughs> like you need to get on it. Um, and he just it'd be what you've got probably seven or eight years worth of footage now, um, that they've amounted, and it's just the best vintage, the best shoes, like everything like that. And this guy Sean is. You know, some people don't like him because he's hugely on the recycling, like about the earth, that sort of stuff. And for some reason, that rubs people the wrong way or something. But um, he started the first proper vintage stores out, out in the US. So um, out in Richmond or something like that, I think was the first store he had. And when he was selling stuff out there, you had your... Grateful Dead t-shirts, your Metallica, ACDC, like all these really cool tees that were sold from those um, those shows back in the day. And he was collecting them and he'd show people coming into the store, buying them, talking about them, bringing pieces in to sell to him. Like it was really creating this community around like vintage. Um, and seeing that was like a big grab because with your hype stuff that I was originally first into, like... There wasn't much of a... There was a community, but it was more of a business mindset, right? Like, you get into it and you're talking to this person because they have some cool shoes and you can make some money off of their cool shoes. But I feel like in vintage, you've got a lot of people that are really into it because they don't see the money aspect. It's more of the collecting aspect of it. And you get that still within shoes, but it's a lot rarer, I sort of find. Um, so I really like that draw to it. Um, but yeah, so that was like the first, like Sean Wotherspoon was like the first image into like that vintage life that I sort of looked at and was like, damn, like that'd be sick. Like I really like that. Um, but yeah, so since then, like he's done collaborations with Porsche and like all these crazy designers and all this sort of stuff. So it really, he really is like a aspirational sort of figure for, for that industry I sort of find. Yeah. So do you design your own stuff now as well? I, well I do, but, like, I don't let anyone see it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't... I'm not big into graphics. I feel like I can't do enough for a graphic to be really sick. Um, I really like the cuts of clothes, like, the way something fits, the way something looks on a body. Um, that's, like, my sort of thing. So, I like to have a template of um, designs for the way something can fit on a body and that sort of stuff, which isn't, like too mass appealing um but it's something that i really like because i think that's hugely important like a graphic can look sick but if it looks huge on your body and it doesn't fit you well like it's not going to be complementing your figure in a sense as i guess you could say um so yeah like i really do want to get down the designing aspect but i want to make it a bit more bread and butter um and not too over the board with over the top with anything and bro there's there's too many graphic t-shirt brands <laughs> out there like i'm not shading anyone that's getting in on that type of deal like do your creative shit get amongst that but don't create another puff print hoodie i've seen 60 <laughs> of them like yeah. we've but got too so many like especially with like graphic tees like it's getting so cheap to make them now mm. and you can't beat those like online chinese retailers that are selling graphic tees for like two dollars on the like, no per shirt like you're just not gonna do it hugely you know? yeah so um Production within Australia would be a huge thing for me for a brand if I was to start something up, apart from the vintage. So a brand that I really, really like at the moment from Australia, from Melbourne, is called Milk Bar. 
Um, all of his stuff is made within Melbourne using Australian fabrics, Australian labor, all that sort of stuff. And um, same as Mudima, Mudima.co. Um, those are two brands from Melbourne that are really doing bits at the moment. Um, so they are pieces that, you know, you're not going to get 20 pieces a drop. You're going to get five, but they're going to be five pieces that you look at and you go, holy shit, they've put they've put a lot of thought and effort into something like this. Um, so yeah, like you're never going to be able to compete with like a $2 shop, $2 shirt or even 25 cent shirt from AliExpress. Um, but you're going to put that on and within two months it's, it's stuffed. Like, yeah. you know, it's going to be 10% a lot lighter than it used to be. Um, you're going to get pilling on the fabrics and that sort of stuff. So another part of the vintage that I really, really like is just the craftsmanship behind the products way back when. So it's more so, like the longevity of it. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, I've had a t-shirt that I bought from Nike, let's say like five years ago, and it's just done. Like there's holes <laughs> in it. It's fraying. It's like thin as. It's, it's just had its use in five years. And that's not what clothes used to be. Like you look at Levi's, Carhartt, Dickies, those brands from the 1800s. Like that, they started in the late 1800s. Um, and shit like, to my right here, we've got a 70s Carhartt jacket that's in, like, wearable condition. Like, you grab a lot of things from Made Now and give them an extra 30, 40 years. Like, you're probably not going to be able to wear it. Mm. Um, so, that aspect of it is really cool because everything's been done before. Like, any cut of clothes, any t-shirt graphic, anything like that, it's been done before. But can you do it better than the person before? is probably the big thing about it. So it's it to a certain extent it's more worthwhile to go back and find it when it was a vintage design and not a new design because the vintage one will hold up for longer Hugely. than it now. Yeah, right. Hugely. Yeah, that's a big aspect of it the way you put it like that. Um I'm sure everyone knows Supreme. Yeah. You know, Palace, that sort yeah. of brand. So Bape, whatever, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> like back in the lines in twenty sixteen where you had like <laughs> um Emily Aubrey or whatever her name was going like look at this Supreme Crowbar. Yeah. Bro, that was that was the <laughs> shit back in the day. Um but Supreme has like so the biggest archive of vintage clothes in the world is in James Jebbia's fucking closet, which is the wow. Supreme uh guy. So Every, well, I'm not going to say every, but most Supreme designs that you see that have come out since the start of the brand um, were based on something back in the day. So what's been really cool about the vintage is like I've grabbed, let's say, like a 90s Ralph Lauren casino shirt, which is like this big um, blackjack style, uh, not blackjack, but like, you know, the spinning game with the ball that you throw in. The roulette. Yeah, roulette, roulette table. Yeah, 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 exactly. So it's a Ralph Lauren roulette table, like plastered on the shirt. And Supreme came out with some stuff like in 2012 or 2013 that was so similar to that. But that was brought out by Ralph Lauren in the 90s. Um, so it's interesting that like a lot of the people that are into the vintage now, like you ask them and like they used to be like me, like into the shoes back in the day. So they collected Supreme um I loved my Supreme back in the day. But then when I realized like all their stuff's based on vintage, I was like, shit, like I'm collecting a Fugazi style of whatever it used to be. Um, right, so you got into like the new version and then went back and found the original or like the, the yeah, second or third part. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's a really good way for it. Um, so what I found really cool about that sort of stuff was that you had all these really random genres of things. Like, what I loved about Supreme was 
the creativity from where they would pull their ideas from. Um, so they would grab something from an Aerosmith tour from the 80s and it would be like one promotional poster and they would run with that shit, make a whole clothing line about it and I don't know, it really like, it would bring attention back to that artist that made it originally back in the day if you wanted to put the time and effort to see that. Um, but it also created this sort of world where a lot of younger people were getting into older designs. So, me, born 2001, fucking 9-11. I was literally born, like, day before 9-11. Like, I don't have the that, that 90s culture built into me or anything like that. But through lacking a brand like Supreme, as soon as I got into vintage, I was clicking with all these 90s pieces. And I was like, this is my era. I wasn't born then. Why is that, <laughs> why is that happening? But brands like Supreme really brought that back into the popular culture which I thought was really, really cool from them. Before we started, you were telling me like about all this stock that you just bought. And you said that you just bought like $3,000 worth of stock or something insane. Yeah. What? Yeah. So yeah. Um, this week has actually been the biggest buying week for me in terms of like general stock for the store. So um, there's suppliers down in Melbourne. Um, yeah. So, so not going to shout them out. I'm going to keep my, keep keep, secret. Keep my shit secret. Before yeah, nice. you go into it though, can you talk a little bit about the process of actually yeah. finding, like not just vintage stuff, but good quality vintage stuff? Like mm-hmm. yeah. I know a lot of people are trying to find Carhartt, like mm. classic Carhartt just for work gear because mm. new Carhartt is, you know, it's new Carhartt. Yeah, um, yeah, that's that's a really good point. Um, I think a lot with my brand of Surf and Turf is like I really want to educate people as to where the pieces came from, like the story of good design, good, just, just goodness in a brand. Like I feel like we've lost that... It's all profit-driven. It's not as much driven by the market now. Um, so with those old pieces and those really cool sort of items, um, a lot of that stuff comes from countries that we donate our clothes to. So there's this... Oh, okay. Yeah, so there's this really weird um, sort of opposition into vintage clothes. So let's say you go down to your local op shop um, and you go pick some clothes out from them. More than likely, those clothes came from someone local that donated to them. Um, But most of the clothes that get donated within Australia don't actually stay within Australia. They all get sent over to Indonesia, Thailand, those two places, mainly those two places. Um, And when they get sent over there, they then get sorted into huge bales that then get used for orphanages, you know, uh, all, all these sorts of things. But then they also get sold back to op shops as well. Um, So there's certain places... Over in Thailand, there's huge markets where you can buy some of this really cool vintage for, you know, like the normal price that you get it for. Um, But that's where it all comes from. So what I have really, really, really loved about this was I was kind of torn when I first got into it. I was like, yo, I'm buying all this stuff from op shops that other people could be buying for clothes that are less fortunate. Like, is there a better way to supply my stock? Like, obviously, I'm not going to be affecting the market too much but i kind of want to just make my imprint as least amount as possible you don't want to be taking candy from a baby you know (laughs) yeah yeah no exactly like that was the mindset of it like i've got to be with everything that i do like i've got to be sound in mind with when i do it otherwise it just fucks with everything you know um so when i was talking to these guys that were receiving these huge amounts of stock from australia um they were having the issue of selling it on 
So a lot of these guys had guys over in the US that, you know, didn't have too much experience with them because during the 2020 pandemic, like COVID, we've all heard too much about it, but that hugely increased every collectibles market you can think of, which then affected the vintage market because most of that stuff's collectible. So a lot of these guys over in these third world countries were like, I need to get amongst it. I need to get in this business. Um, so that's what they did. Like they'd go to these rag houses is what we call them. Um, and they'd go, Hey, I want to get X amount of bales of clothes, which is usually like 45, 50 kilos is a bale. Um, and I'll sort through it myself sell off the pieces that are worth a lot and then on sell the other stuff that's not. Sort of like how people do um, do the same thing for, uh, what's the word? Like the, for technology, they have those big technology bins. Yeah, the Amazon piles yeah, and yeah, stuff. Yeah, 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 that yeah. stuff. Yeah, it's really similar to that aspect. So a lot of these guys, like they've learned this stuff over the past few years because they weren't into it at first, but they've realized that it's this huge growing business. So I'm like... In, in these countries, like, to get $3,000 for a whole bunch of used clothes is unheard of. Like, unheard of, unless you have a vintage store in this country selling it. Um, so, I go to these guys and I say, like, look, I'm looking for X, Y, and Z. If you can provide X, Y, and Z, let me know your prices. Let me know how we can work this out. And then these guys, like, they're, they're buying houses now for their families. Like, they are making insane amounts of money off of the stuff and it's awesome like it stopped that little part of me that was like fuck like i'm taking this away from someone else that could be getting in an op shop and i'm going these guys would normally get like let's say a few hundred bucks for a bale but i mean i paid like 1500 bucks for a 45 kilo bale like yesterday so they're getting a lot more than they would be if they were selling it to like all these other places um, and it's also getting a second life, right? So, like, a lot of this Carhartt, Dickies, uh, even your vintage tees, like, they've all had this life with someone that they've loved. Um, but now they can come over to Australia, even if they came from Australia or the US, and have this completely new life with someone else. Um, and then, dude, they're not going to be buying some random shit from H&M. Like, they're not going to be buying something from Zara or some fucking random shit like that. Like, they're buying true vintage that will last them life. Like, this Carhartt jacket, like, if it's dated early, uh, sorry, late 70s, early 80s. Like, that's at least two or three lifetimes already. And we could even give it another. Like, that's, that's insane to me. That's like what, but that's what clothes should be. So, I think that, that aspect of it has been really, really cool to see. And then if you get some stuff, like let's say you had a really, really cool shirt. Like you, you love this shirt. And then you got this big oil stain down the middle of it that you can't get out. Like it's just, it's just staying in there. You could chop that tea up, give it to someone with a good skill and they could make a bag out of it. So there's all these aspects of vintage that sort of like stop the waste of the world. Like, I'm not a big environmental dude. I'm not going to say that I'm here on my like green fucking pedal or whatever, <laughs> but I think the less, the better. So yeah, I really love that aspect of it as well. Like that is really cool for it. Right. So the way that you're kind of getting around those, I mean, I don't want to say exploitation aspect of it, but exploitation, I think is a still, it's still a good term to use. Like yeah. exploitation happens everywhere in the world. And, yeah. and I think a lot of those really like harsh words, we sort of, 
sometimes stray away from, yeah. but it's exploitation. Like, yeah, that's the if it's if it meets the definition, it's the definition. Yeah. like well then yeah, so like that's essentially what it is. Yeah, you're totally right. It, it would be exploitation to 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 just take it from them for cheap. But by paying fifteen hundred dollars for a forty-five kilo bale, you're you're essentially paying them to take over the work of actually sorting it. So it's kind yeah. of like a, is it? Do you know what's in them? Is or is it kind of yeah. like a loot yeah, crate? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, you've got different categories of like vintage bales that you can get into. So um, you've got your mystery boxes in quotations as some people like to call them. So you could order 45 kilos of branded sweatshirts and you're going to have no idea what brands are in them. Like you'll have a rough estimation of like five, six brands or something, but you're not going to have like a true understanding of what's in there. Um, and with my business, I like to curate everything. Like I like to know what I'm getting so it fits my business. Um, a lot of people don't, which is fine. That means you get a more array of options. You know, other people can look through it. That's wonderful. Um, but for me, I like to have a specific curation. So with these guys, I'll say I'm looking for X, Y, and Z. Um, if you can give me X amount of X, Y, and Z, that'd be wonderful. Um, so let's say you're looking for your Nike, Adidas, Polo sweatshirts, that sort of stuff, which is hugely popular at the moment. You can go to them and say, hey, I'm looking for 50 kilos or I'm looking to spend X amount and then they can work within that budget, which is really, really cool. Like they're always, they're always willing to flex. Um, but yeah, like a, a good thing as well is um, like a lot of brands don't sort of realize that there's so many clothes that exist out there in the world. So there's wholesalers out there that you can go, hey, I want to get 50 kilos worth of like blank t-shirts from the 90s. So you're getting these like really good quality t-shirts from the 90s, but there's nothing on them. So you can print your brand onto it. And all of a sudden you got some really cool quality t-shirts with a cool design on it that's modern. But then you get that aspect of vintage that gives it that quality. Um, So yeah, there's a lot of really cool stuff you can do with it. Yeah. How do you deal with the prospect of marking those items up? Because like Mm. if you do the maths, you know, you're you're paying 1500 bucks for a bale each item would you'd you'd be paying probably thirty or forty dollars for it. Yeah. So how do you deal with like? Is it kind of like some of those are worthless? So then other things kind of go up in price because I know like specifically mm. brands like Carhartt Dickies, like classic vintage stuff that is in high demand, can get really really expensive. Yeah. How do you kind of balance between making it absurdly expensive, like still keeping it reasonable, but still like you know having a profit and accounting for the loss on other items? Yeah, yeah, that's a really good question. So with a lot of these ones, I always dollar cost my averages. So I need to know how much I'm paying per piece. Um, It's not like specific for this piece is worth this or this piece is worth this. It's just this is how much every piece is worth based on what I've bought. So by the books, if I need to average that out, this is what it's got to meet. So you're always going to have like certain pieces that will be worth a little bit more than the other. But as a wholesaler, like the person that I'm buying it off, they know that as well. So they factor that into it. Um, so a lot of the time, if you jump on one of these wholesalers websites, they'll give you a rough estimate on what they think their pieces will be worth on selling it. Um, not a good basis to work off, I don't think. Um, but it gives you a rough estimate. Um, so if I got... 45 kilos in of Carhartt stuff. It's all usually going to be Carhartt and Dickies. It's not going to be any other brands. Um, and a lot of the time, it just depends on how much you want to pay. So 
let's say you spend a thousand dollars on forty-five kilos worth of Carhartt and Dickies, but that may be your B, C grade stuff. So it's going to be worth twenty-five to twenty-eight dollars a kilo, roughly. I think averaging out at about that price. Um, so that you know, you're going to have your lower caliber worth of products in that sort of one. So it's, it's all scalable, which is really good about this business. Like, um, unless you don't know what you're doing and you don't know what you're getting into, you can get pretty stuffed with it. Um, but yeah, like the main thing is, is finding good suppliers. So my big thing is, um, here in Australia, we don't have a pre-existing vintage market necessarily. Like we had, Phantom Comics, which was the big printer from the fifties, the fifties to the eighties. <laughs> Dare Jennings, Dare Jennings may listen to this in the future, and if he does, don't kill me. Um, but Dare Jennings started up Phantom Pressings, um, which was the first t-shirt printing business here in Australia, oh, which wow. which That's then sick. which then transferred onto Mambo. Oh, so Dare okay. Jennings was the founder of Mambo and this isn't too common of knowledge but I think people it should be um, but Mambo started out as Phantom Comics which was that really cool comic from back in the day it was like the first superhero oh, oh wow. yo yeah, what yeah, yeah. Wow. I used to read the Phantom comics in the yep. in the that uh, makes me feel really old in the newspaper. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah no, exactly. That stuff was so good back in the day. Like my dad got me onto that. Um, so Dare Jennings, uh, he sort of came to this realization that there were all these artists within Australia that had so much talent and so much willingness to do something, but there wasn't this foundation for them to build something onto. So what Dare Jennings did was he created this space in which artists could come in and they could create these wild graphics or these wild designs or these craziness and they could print it onto t-shirts and make some money off of it. So Mambo was the first company in the world to freelance artists for designs. So before that, it would be, you're my artists, I own you, you can only make shit for me. But Mambo were like, no, you're an artist. You can make whatever you want to make and we will give you money for the stuff you make for us. And I think that's why they were so popular and why they were so big back in the day. Because they, they had such a variety of products. Yeah, hugely, hugely. So, like, you could grab a Mambo piece from 1995 and it would look so different to another Mambo piece from 1995, but it's the same brand. And it still gave you that same feeling. So... It was really cool to see that like a lot of these artists just came together for this common cause of creating something really cool. Um, and then it was really politically driven. Like uh, it's not it's not as spoken about too much because Mambo don't like it being too too known because they like to say they were uh, quite casual with it. But you know they they all had their political leanings and they like to say something with what they did as anyone should, um, which was really 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 cool about it. So yeah, so Mambo started off as Phantom Screenshot Pressings and then transitioned onto Mambo and stopped with their uh, Mambo, uh, sorry, with their Phantom Pressings, which was pretty cool, like pretty cool. So that was all down in New South Wales. Yeah. Is that the goal then with your store eventually to be able to to have designs done by other artists or other you know, graphic designers or... Or I just wanted to be known on the record that Lucky <laughs> just spilled his drink all over I himself. Did just, I did just spill my beer on my yeah. top. And I'm <laughs> proud of that. I'm proud of that. Yeah. Um, 
Partially, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like a, a huge thing about my brand is I want to attract creative types. So I want there to be some place for artists to be able to express. But like, I don't, I don't really think that I can at the moment necessarily do anything that someone else can't. Like, I don't think I can provide a service that anyone else can't. But I think what would be really cool is transitioning artists from your Chinese t-shirts to your vintage blanks. Like, I think that would be a really cool transition to see that I could maybe facilitate. So instead of, you know, being like a branding house and people are, you know, artists are coming in under me, it's more of me giving the artist the canvas for them to be able to put their idea on and on sale. Like, you're probably not even going to see the surf and turf name attached to that garment of clothing by any stretch of the imagination. But they probably got it from me at one point, and that would be a really, really cool thing. Um, so, yeah, being able to provide a place for artists to create their own canvas would be a really cool thing. Like, that's definitely an idea for the future. Um, but vintage isn't isn't like my end goal um but it's like a really good footing that i want to get into um so i see like a big market at the moment um it's a big passion that i've got um and i can see that a lot of people sort of really get gravitated towards this like i think there's a lack of originality within brands at the moment there's a lack of individuality uh with a lot of big corporate brands and I think that's what really attracts people to the vintage game. Like, you can chuck on a vintage t-shirt and you're not catching anyone wear that. Like, you're the only one that's going to be wearing that because it's got a hole here, a hole here. It's faded in this certain way and that sort of stuff. So that's what I think is really cool about it. Like, that that sort of aspect. Yeah. The individuality aspect of it. Um, we're going to slowly bring it to a close. But um, what... what you mentioned that you had markets coming up or and, and shows and things like that. What have you got yeah, coming yeah. up so, you can go to? Um, the Instagram is Surf and Turf Vintage. So not and, but an N in the middle yeah. there. Um, and we've got a ton of markets coming up. So Brisbane Vintage Exchange is a huge one that people should get around. Happens at the end of every month, the last Sunday of every month. Um, and then we've got the Fashion Thrift Society Market, November 20 as well. Um, and then also Vent Space Market this Sunday, happening, what, September 18th? Yeah, I that'll think, be a day before this comes out. Yeah, But yeah. if you were there, sick. If you were there, then how good, <laughs> right? Like, you got to be there to be there. Um, so, yeah, like, definitely have a look um, at the Instagram, see what type of markets we got on there. Um, and if you're looking for anything, send us a message. Like, any band, movie, artist, anything like that, I can find a t-shirt for you. Like, if you had some artist in the 80s that you loved or your dad loved, I'll I'll get you a promotional t-shirt for that. Like, I'll be able to find it. I am going so to take you up. up on that. Yeah, offer. same. All right. <laughs> uh, Joe, hit it. Uh, so, as we come to a close, is there anything in the show so far uh, that we haven't spoken about that you wish we had or that you were expecting to talk about um it can be anything at all not Doesn't necessarily um no no not necessarily but uh i think if people should just go to your local op shop like go to your local supplier go to your go to your local clothing store go to your local coffee shop stop buying at starbucks <laughs> stop buying at h&m stop buying at zara these big companies don't need our dollars just just spend your dollars locally. Um, give your dollars to local artists. Be 
Like I'm not your parent, but <laughs> be cautious of where you spend your money. I think I'm is your a good dad one. Now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Consider yes. me father. Vintage dad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. All right, last cool. one. Um, what words of advice or words of wisdom would you give to someone who's looking to get started with vintage clothing or looking to get started in design or, or anything? Anything you want to say to a person like that? Um, try and find the things that you really gravitate towards as basic or boring or out there or extravagant as it may be like whatever you're into um, someone else may not be into it and it may not be as obvious for someone else so a big 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 saying for me that really really like stuck was what's obvious to you isn't obvious to everyone else or may not be obvious to everyone else Um, and I have that pop up on my phone every day and it's not an ego thing. It's more of a creative thing. Um, so if you take that and you run with it and an ego, an ego is really, really important, but always make sure that your curiosity outweighs your ego. Um, those are probably the two things that I would leave with people. Perfect. Incredible. Um, well, we'll bring it to a close. I'm, I'm about to do the outro, but we do a little tradition on the show with our guests. Ooh. We have an outro song for the podcast. Oh, it's kind yeah. of weird because you're a little bit further away, but there's a little a little maroon pinky button here. Um, I'm going to do the outro. I'm going to say bye, then Joe's going to say bye, yep. then you're going to say bye, and then you get to hit this button, and then that's it. Hell yeah. All right? This looks colorful as. I love it's it. It's beautiful, right? <laughs> it's great, yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm going to do the outro now. Put your fi- Hover your finger over that button, and get then ready. be ready. Make sure it's the right one. Yeah, it's yeah. that one. Okay. Thank you so much for listening to or watching this episode of The Fro Show. We hope you had a great time. Thank you so much, Lockie from Surf and Turf, for joining Ooh. us. Go check him out yeah. on at Surf in turf <laughs> on Instagram, and go love buy it. from his store. Yeah. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next week. Also, write us on Spotify. Bye. 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 Done. Uh, Nailed it. Well done. That was great. Good fun. Thanks, dude. Hell yeah. Crushed it. <laughs>